Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, we meditate into the spirit world, abandoning our bodies as we meet up with old friends in libraries that hold the key to Avatar Korra's upcoming fate at Harmonic Convergence. We've traveled into the spirit world, but one of us didn't make it back. Your remaining hosts, Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Hello, welcome back to Republic City Dispatch. That was a very sad opening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> announcing that Joanna Robinson, <laughs> <laughs> Joanna Robinson is not with us today, sadly. Uh, as many people love her and wish she was with us all the time, um, she was having some sort of car troubles that prevent her from um, joining in on the Cora discussion for this week's episode, A New Spiritual Age. But we, of course, we do have Devendra Hardawar hello, hello. returning. Hello, who loved the um, convergence of Thor 2, uh, probably because he's been influenced by the harmonic convergence of Uh Korra. Of course, yes. (laughs) I blame Korra entirely. (laughs) And and returning after after a bye week is Dave Gonzalez with a seven. Yes, I also liked Thor 2 for its convergence, although I thought that the ether would lead to better bending than it did, but that's a criticism for a different piece of media, I suppose. Wait, the ether in Thor would lead to bending, or the ether in Korra? What is the... Well, what the, is ether the ether in Thor definitely does lead to something that looks like bending. It's just not as super powerful as you think it would be, considering how they set it up in that movie. But like I said, <laughs> we're, uh, we should probably talk about the spirit world. <laughs> that's true. Even though uh, Malekith the Dark Elf waves his hands around, it does not compare to the bending powers of Korra. Correct. Um, let us get back on track and talk about a new spiritual age. First, Dave, summarize, please. All right. So Korra and Jinora aren't in the spirit world for long by the time they get separated when Korra panics. On the split side, Jinora finds a larger version of Furryfoot, and it leads her to Wanshitong's library. Korra, meanwhile, swats a dragon bird she thinks is a dark spirit that reverts her back to her scale, scared child form. When she finds Iroh, who invites her to tea and tells her about how her mood alters the spirit world. Someone sort of brought up that this is uh, like essentially the secret what Iroh is talking about. I want to talk about that later. I'm just throwing that in here. Anyway, <laughs> uh, after conquering her fear by returning the dragon bird to its nest, she rides the dragon bird phoenix to the spirit portals where Unalak and Vatu have captured Jainora and hold her hostage until Korra opens the north spirit portal. Unalak then attacks Korra and almost wins, but Korra is saved by the dragon bird. Korra wakes in the real world in a panic Tenzin, or to a panicked Tenzin, since Jinora is still in the spirit world and now both portals are open, ensuring that Vatu will break free to battle Rava and the Avatar. Vatu. Um, thank you, Dave. You're welcome. Before we get going on this, just a reminder, if you listen to this podcast, however you listen to it, through subscribing on iTunes, or if you find it on Tumblr or through SoundCloud, we would love for you to jump on iTunes and leave us a review, leave us a rating. It's very easy. Click a few buttons, star rating, few words, kind words, negative words, positive, whatever. Go on iTunes, let us review. It helps us chart up on the podcast uh, top tens and that sort of thing and gets more Cora talk uh, in front of other people who would be interested in it. So uh, we would love for you to do that for us uh, in any way that you can. So thank you. And thank you to all the people who have. Many of you have done this. And it's just so positive and so wonderful to see feedback and criticism and positive thoughts and a serious love for Cora, despite a, a season that's been up and down and, and, and provocative in its, in its storytelling. So thank you so much for doing that. 
Let's get down to business. A new spiritual age. Devendra, I'm throwing this to you. Big, big thoughts on this episode. Now that we have Studio Mir back animated. I don't know. Um, big thoughts. Uh, the animation looks great. I think it's great to finally see Korra kind of make her way through the spirit world and see how that uh, influences her. I like the idea that, uh, you know, she she kind of can, I, I don't know, make the spirits more angry just because of her own uh, her own frustration. And I like seeing her actually try to learn that. That's something that she was trying to figure out this entire season. And, you know, it's great to see Iroh back. Um, I, I don't know if this, season, this episode made as much of an impact on me as it did uh, to many of the people of the fan base online. Like, for me, the highlight of this season is still the, uh, the one double episode. I don't think anyone's going to say <laughs> this is better than Beginnings, but right. it was amazing. Well, first, first of all, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a, a realizing as the season goes on, I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of any episode that just is like dealing with one subplot. It, yes, feel, it yes. feels a little choppy, but since we've had the beginnings obviously doing its own thing, the Mako detective story got its own episode, and now we get Core and Janor in the spirit world sort of as its own episode. I'm a fan of that sort of chapter-like storytelling if we're going to have to watch this, you know, for half an hour at a time. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, the return of uh, Studio Mir making things, making even the quiet moments have motion and some mm-hmm. sort of emoting also really went a long way for me. So I, I think even though it may feel, or it definitely felt to me when I was first watching it, that like the big moments were like, we're back in the library and here's Iroh. <laughs> really like over hindsight, the big moments were I've actually re-engaged with what these characters are talking about on a philosophical level. So like the nice thing about having Iroh around is it's different mm-hmm. than Tenzin being like, I should be able to get in the spirit world. Why can't I get in the spirit world? And, you know, granted, it's, you know, Iroh's typical sort of very light-handed philosophy, but at least that gives you more stuff to think about than, you know, uh, two things panning against each other against the static background and talking at each other. Sure, so, sure. So, good. It's We also saw, like, earlier this season that they were trying to juggle multiple plots in a single episode. I don't feel like it was, like, getting a little bit of very good, of you know, I don't know, very good meals or something. I'd rather eat, like, a really good burger yeah. just all in one rather than have little bites of other things. Yeah, see, I, I ended up kind of cherishing this episode on the same... I think this is on par with Beginnings for me um, because I, I see Beginnings as something separate that's almost not part of the book two arc. Um, and for me, this is an episode that's about Korra. It's about uh, her history. It's about her as a character. It's about everything that this arc has been building up to this whole season um why you know somebody in our comments on the on the talk back or asked us a question on tumblr said why did it take until episode 10 to finally get here because we needed to see how frustrated she was we needed to see how temperamental she still was despite having everything that happened in book one and now we needed to see her be introspective in a, a visual way in a philosophical way and have this conversation that's not so plot driven this episode is not about plot um i i mentioned that you know i i half expected her to fall down the rabbit hole with janora kind of clonk unalak on the head and just be in a battle and then like harmonic convergence plots and details and that sort of thing and and exposition and because this season is so speedy i i was so taken aback by the fact that we got a, a kind of a deep breath episode one that's about wandering around about um, interacting with things and looking around and, and seeing how 
Korra as a character can change things just by how she acts and how she um, understands and how she contemplates. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just thought that was very provocative. And I love, I love that they use Alice in Wonderland as the grand blueprint to do all this. I mean, <laughs> what an amazing throwback to, I believe it's the 77 Alice in Wonderland. I mean, a lot of the imagery for me comes right. from that Disney animated film. Um, and I just, I loved all of that. Total the, fan service, too. Although I feel like a lot of the younger fans won't even, probably haven't even seen that movie. You think? That's not a staple? That's not a uh, It was maybe more staple. of a staple for us, but staple for kids Certainly. these days are more modern, you know. I think someone's How, seen the Burton version, definitely. So, like, they, <laughs> they can acknowledge uh, the tea party. And that's, what Joanna, that's what Joanna was worried about. She's like, the spirit world looks like Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. I'm just like, no, that is not, that's not nice. I was listening to that part, and then I went on Tumblr, and somebody took the uh, concept art that we saw at two Comic-Cons ago of the spirit world and the shot of Janora and Korra in the spirit world and laid them right next to each other and they executed that concept art so well. It's uh, instantly recognizable. So regardless of if you think it looks like Alice in Wonderland or not, they're doing exactly what they were shooting it for, which from design point is amazing. What, so, Devendra, was the story not stirring you in this episode very much? I mean, was you didn't feel like it was advancing forward or it wasn't captivating enough it was just I mean, kind was, of like filler philosophical fine. babble i was just coming off of thor so maybe my brain was in a completely <laughs> different uh more action more space. hammer more, more energy um so i probably do need to rewatch this episode but you know i thought it was fine it's great to see i'm glad the plot is moving forward i'm glad this wasn't another episode where people are basically kind of in one room and trying to deal with one particular problem things are moving and i think uh, the way it ends too is is uh, incredibly depressing. They yeah. love that. Brike, uh, are they are big fans of, and I think they say this on the book right. one Blu-ray commentary, they just love sad endings. I mean, because it hits you so hard and you never expect an, an, an animated show especially to go yeah. there. You I never mean, see that in kids shows, really. Yeah, one amazing, I mean, uh, in my recap for Vulture, I, I kind of like dwelled on this this final moment. We're really getting ahead of ourselves here, but like when Tenzin realizes Janora hasn't come back, and he looks back to Korra, and just like uh, God, Studio Mir, like thank God you're here because the emotion running through those hand drawings, um, just like to see him devastated, to see him confused, and all these emotions kind of layered into whatever J.K. Simmons is doing as a voice only. I mean, that's just so complex and appreciated at this stage where like we really need to raise the stakes and to do that you can't rely on things like the harmonic convergence and vatu um you need something like man a guy that we love tenzin has lost something he needs in this world i agree but i want to step back and talk a little bit about i think what devinder maybe touched upon which is like the idea that this episode the reason it took us 10 episodes to get here is because what mm -hmm. this episode is telling us is that Korra, more so than other people, can manifest. In the spirit world, it directly manifests, but they sort of hint that Korra in general can manifest her emotions into the world around her. So it makes sense that if that was the rule that we were building towards this season, for Korra to have the understanding that she needs to be you know, the change she wants to see in the world, to Gandhi it off a little bit. Yeah. Like, that 
is, um, you know, she's living the secret. And so she's been walking well, around. She's been walking around the South Pole getting mad at her parents and her mentor and her friends and her boyfriend. And it's just like tumbling into civil war and plots that everybody is far behind. And so I'm hoping that this is a turn with, you know, Cora's. What we saw was Cora's self-actualizing finally uh, this episode. I, I think that's why this um, realization that she comes to through the guidance of Iroh and becoming a child again, I think is really key. And something I want to talk about a little more is not the secret. The secret is a get rich quick scheme by telling people to think positively and, you know, things will happen like magic. But No, that's, I mean, just because we don't live in the Avatar, the last airbender thing is the really the only difference. But the idea of that sort of theory that if you, you know, it's sort of like simple karma, you put good out and good results. Come well, you back were, to you. I think you were much more on point by citing Mahama Gandhi and be the change that you wish to see in this world. Right. Um, that, that is the thinking here. That is like the, the meditative Zen quality of this show. Um, and, and, yeah, to, to to meditate on things and to put yourself out into the world and through kind of harmony um, and consideration of nature and the world around you that you can impact, you can have that physical impact on the world. I don't think that's the secret where you kind of just will things and hope they happen. Um, by communicating with people and the world around you, yes, you can make a change. And in Cora's case, it's probably more physical uh, than than in our reality, but... I think the Gandhi is right nail in the head right there. Yeah, it's it seems like I don't know. I don't know how it, the further we get in the book to the more I feel like I'm going to maybe not revisit the first part of this book as often as I will revisit everything after beginnings. But I, I mean, it's weird because for the first time in the Avatar, well, I guess for the first time since uh the last season of Avatar The Last Airbender, I feel like there's way too much story for realistically how many episodes they decided to to bite off. Like, there's a lot of uh, very traditional spirit things and uh, also a whole bunch of being a teenager and also war profiteering and, oh, yeah, there's a civil war in the South. It, I, I don't... I, I would be... But I'm don't hesitant. you think it streamlined itself at this point? I mean, it feels like it's streamlined, but if you actually sit down and count off the subplots, there's a whole bunch of stuff sort of left up in the air. As I wrote on the website, it's like, so we're just going to get teased with seeing Zuko every season, and then we're never going to see Zuko again, which is fine. I mean, obviously, we're not they telling the Fire probably wrote Nation. that line for you. Yeah, probably. Just to infuriate you. Years ago, when they're like, oh, this guy's going to want to see Zuko in two years. We better tease him. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's interesting because I've it's it very rarely have I seen a season that it has pivoted this sharply in the middle of the season, and also, but I can't go back and look and like try to rethink the first three episodes like they should have dealt with something different. Like beginnings sort of needed to be in the middle of this season. It sort of needed to change everything. It's just it seems like a weird storytelling. It's weird because obviously they didn't figure it out on the fly. You know, many television shows can tinker with its structure or kind of deviate and take a turn in a different direction kind of halfway through a season. Clearly, this this show is not doing that because they conceived it all as one beast. Um, So you wonder how that could happen. 
I mean, Dave, you know the animation process better than any of us. I don't know what 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 we're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of where my confusion comes from because it's like, you know, you're Damon Lindelof and you're writing Lost and you realize that the fans don't like Nikki and Paolo and you could sort of course correct briefly with stuff like that. But with, uh, you know, Cora, like we keep seeing um, from Brian's tumblr that they're like doing voice for season four and animating season three and so this is all stuff that they were thinking about back like a summer ago so it it makes me Mm -hmm. it makes me feel weird that we didn't have that nobody at any point sat down with the fandom and was like this one's gonna be weird because they knew it was gonna be structurally weird from the beginning because they've made it that way well that's not something you admit i mean you don't have to to relay that to the fandom that's a weird thing to consider. And apparently, they should have of being like, "This is going to be really because when we when we heard them speak about book two, it was always like, "This is going to be about family, and this is going to be about the spirit world, and here's how we make the show." Blah 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 blah. But it's really they didn't. I don't know. This is much more modular than any story that they've told uh, well, before. You know why it worked for me because. Book two starts off really grand. You know, we're going to a new location. We fight giant monsters. You know, Korra's bending out the wazoo. There's a lot of action. Um, we're going to learn big ideas. Uh, Unalak is going to teach her to to wrangle the spirits. Um, and it's over time has boiled itself down. I mean, we literally see Korra mm-hmm. become a child again in this episode, which I really appreciate. And I, I love the what you guys thought about that decision. Um, I, I guess for me that really plays into Alice in Wonderland. Again, why that framework works for this um, to be so scared that you become a child again. In some ways, relearn lessons. I think we end up learning a lot of lessons as kids that as we grow up into teenagers who are quote-unquote mature who know the world, um, we don't. Uh, we end up having to relearn those lessons. And I think that's what this season is all about. Why does it have a strange framework? Because it needed to start big, boil it down. Cora needs to become the smallest she has ever been. And then she has to kind of erupt back into the world with great change. It, just, it, it feels weird to me because I don't know if just the structure of having to tell like a more serious nuanced plot it's not just Aang needs to defeat the fire lord and spend 22 episodes learning each new element he hasn't learned but it is like we have war profiteering and we want to talk about the history of this entire world and we want to talk about Korra as a character and just having the knowledge that they were going to get four books to do that sort of makes this the you know, Empire Strikes Back and is allowed to sort of be all herky-jerky. I mean, the, right. the good thing is I have enough faith in these people to know that if they wrote this entire season as a chunk and decided this was the way to present it, that's probably how I'm going to feel at the end. It just, uh, it, it it feels odd because we had like two episodes with everybody in one place and when everybody was in one place, Cora was making really stupid decisions. So it's sort of like they held, they made us really frustrated for like three weeks and allowed us to expand outward, which now that I'm saying it out loud is basically what happened in book one. So maybe, I, maybe I'm going nowhere in, in weird <laughs> circles. We needed to be frustrated so that we could relate to Cora and then come to terms with that. Yeah. And like ease ourselves into it. They, they to, physically provoked us in that way. We needed to talk about 
all how good the good things are so that the universe spits more good things back out at us. Shine the light, if you will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I th I th a few people mentioned that they thought the reintroduction of uh, Uncle Iroh was kind of lame fan service. To me, I thought it was essential. Like, I, I was really happy to see that. I thought it was a graceful nod to the old series that made perfect sense. Am I, am I crazy here? Did this work for you? No, it totally worked, right? I think uh, if you were going to introduce Iroh or anybody else from the original series, now is the perfect time because it kind of fits more into the story. Um, I'm surprised, though, that we're not seeing any more from that, uh, you know, kind of the original. We had all those flashbacks in the first season of Legend of Korra. I'm kind of sad that we're not seeing any more Aang flashbacks. That's what Iroh's uh, reappearance reminded me of. Yeah. You know, why is Aang not walking around the spirit world right. helping Korra? Well, it, I mean, it answered a very important uh, nerd-based uh, sort of canonical question, which is in season one of Avatar The Last Airbender, Iroh is cap able to see meditating Aang riding a spirit dragon into the spirit world and nobody else is. And people always asked, and, you know, at some point there was a hint that Iroh had some sort of connection to the spirit world. So it was great to see that Iroh is still in the spirit world and to have him explain that he just decided to be there instead of dying. Which I, just, I guess Janora can do that down the road when she chooses to, to leave this great plane. Yeah, and then also knowing that uh, the, um, oh, the librarian, the human librarian guy is still there and dead. Oh my god, that that was the sickest callback <laughs> to Avatar Last Airbender. That was deranged. Well, do you remember Avatar Annotated, which is sort of like That's the pop-up? Professor Zai, by the Professor way. Professor Zai, yes. Prove that we know our, our stuff. They did Avatar Annotated, where they showed the original series with sort of like pop-up video facts, and in the library one, they're like, Zai is still in the library. And I was like, did they just put a really weird ending on this character we'd never see again in an annotated <laughs> avatar thing so i'm glad that this came back and proved it right even if it was kind of depressing it was just so creepy and so i mean because professor zai wasn't like that bad of a person right no he got, just got to <laughs> he got to read until he died but it's not that we just that he read until he died he's he's slumped over sitting against a bookshelf his his corpse is rotting i they mean even this is a up. sad yeah. conclusion <laughs> just so deranged i thought that was so messed up but like in a good way in a way that i really appreciated um I, I, before we leave the iro conversation i wanted to talk about the library but i just thought um it was so neat that iro First off, I, I was really happy to see Iroh coaching young Korra. Like, he he is the uncle to everyone, truly. Um, and that's why he is so wise. But he needed to talk to young Korra. He needed to teach someone who didn't have everything figured out um, and do it at the Mad Hatter tea party, which was so awesome. Like, I'm so – of course he's drinking tea in the afterlife. <laughs> yes! Um, and to find that way into Alice in Wonderland with him. I don't think that's the only reason we had Iroh, because he's the person who drinks tea in this universe. But I just thought, the, and they play Go, which I was really appreciative um, yeah. with like a giant flower. A pie show, but yes. I don't know where I'm really going with this comment. I just thought it was so awesome. And all his guidance, you know, if you, if you look for the light, you can often find it. If you look for the dark... It is all you will ever see. I mean, I just want a series of Iroh inspirational posters for my room now. It works so much better 
this sort of plotting as opposed to, oh no, Mako, there's been evidence planted in your apartment in that top drawer. It's like, yeah. uh, at least if you're going to go, if you're going to only have time for a few vague phrases, Iroh always delivers the best vague phrases that feel like they have actual weight. For some reason, it just reminded me of, I guess it took me back to Avatar The Last Airbender, not just because of Iroh, but it felt like Aang learning lessons at that point because he's so young and he had been frozen for 100 years. And I, I was, it was a transportive sequence for me. And I guess that's why I really appreciated this. And I also liked that she went off as young Korra. You know, he had to let her go and kind of solve her own problems and take this dragon bird to the nest. The dragon bird looked a lot like a Pokemon mm-hmm. um, or a Chocobo. I don't know. It depends on what nerd thing you're into. Um, <laughs> and I, I just, I just loved all of that. They hug that hug, like put me into tears. Just like having that wise adult in your life when you're young, and like how important it is to remember everything they told you. I, you know, I for me, I'm like flashing back to my grandfather who has passed away now for years ago, and I'm just like we remember those older wise people and then we forget them and we need to like remember what it's like to have a child interaction and those fundamental lessons that we learn so early on. I just thought it was really touching and it's an, it's an amazing thing to see an animation where everything can go wrong. Everything can be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm happy that we spent so much time with uh, child Cora who was voiced by Cora Baker uh, I wanted to write that down and give her props because there's something about I love Janet Varney's teenage Cora, but I'm starting to get a little annoyed at her inability to be taught. And so it was so nice to see a version of Cora that seemed genuinely interested in learning things. Right. Uh, like without, you know, having to you know, figure out her own way through the doors through pro bending child Cora just sort of was able to calm down and immediately see her actions uh, reflected around her. And it's, yeah, I don't know. I didn't think I wanted more Cora training at the beginning of this season, but apparently <laughs> that's exactly what I want. It, it actually reminded me a little of Dragon Ball. Did either of you watch the original Dragon oh, Ball? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just like something about um, young, what's his name? Man, I'm mental blank. Devinder, you know. Goku? Goku, yeah. Young Goku just like and and being in the middle of a field in a house like they're just on this island somewhere in the middle of nowhere and and learning things. And I'm just uh, that's what I loved about the original Dragon Ball. Um, The other thing I loved about this episode was putting young Korra in like a scary place because I thought and this goes back to Alice in Wonderland 1977. That is a scary movie. That is a really like when she's walking through. Uh, I think the ugly forest or the ugly wood um, that is really terrifying and all this like strange psychedelic imagery. And, and, and this episode did the same thing. There were Jabberwockies in this episode. I don't know. I don't know if you had the same thought, but as she starts going through the forest and she sees these like giant floating beasts, I'm like, that's a Jabberwocky. (laughs) Um, And they even, and there's a caterpillar, of course. I mean, I just loved all the imagery in this episode. And, um, Oh, God. The guy who um, directed the episode, Ian Graham, um, he he shoots the whole thing like a, a Terry Gilliam movie. I don't know if I'm alone here as well, but like, mm-hmm. you know, Terry Gilliam did Jabberwocky back in the 80s or late 70s. And um, 
has a really psychedelic movie as well. And the way like he moves his sets around and his camera kind of floats around things and it's like zipping forward and it's not a normal plane of existence. The physicality of the the backgrounds and and the characters they can interact and swoop into each other and I don't know it just had this really crazy sense of style to it and I was really appreciative of that yeah I'm terrified of giant aquatic lizards swallowing me so <laughs> that happened I was trying I... to figure out I was trying to figure out if that was a reference to something in Alice in Wonderland that I couldn't remember if it was a biblical reference um, to jo- or to Job is that who who gets swallowed by the uh... By the the, the, the whale. Jonah. Jonah. Well, or yeah. if that was a Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace reference once. I mean, yeah, wouldn't it so just be the great underwater leviathan of fear? Couldn't that just be what it was? All right, I'll give you that. Because it's just, it's very freaky on its own. I mean, granted, I used to have a recurring nightmare that was like that, but I still think that if you ask people if they wanted to drop into dark water, they couldn't see anything except for the glowing mouth of a giant lizard behind them. Then nobody would want to do that. Uh, I'm I'm curious what you guys thought about the library sequence. I'm glad to have harmonic convergence finally explained to me in like just crass exposition form. Um, but I'm just loving Janora as a character now. It's like you know, in book one, I was so happy to have this you know free spirited, independent woman character at the head of a um, of an animated show, and and now we have Cora. And Janora. Janora is like a different type of individual. Um, mm-hmm. I, it just it recalled memory, memories of my life being the bookish one who was just kind of like, can I just read this fantasy novel and and live my joyous life? I love when she walks in the library. It's like, I could just read all of these books. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm like that Janora is here. I Still don't know exactly why it needs to be Janora, but I'm assuming that that's going to have a line of dialogue somewhere that it establishes that there are... Uh, okay, the thing that I didn't get to say last episode, because I wasn't here, is does it weird anybody out that all of a sudden, like, we went from a time that basically only the Avatar could go into the spirit world, and now everybody just sort of assumes that there's a certain class of people that can meditate <laughs> into the spirit world? Do you think it dilutes the position of the Avatar? I mean, that's kind of what, I mean, that's kind of what one story does in some way, makes it less important, which is kind of the agenda of this show to to draw back these hero figures and make them more of part of the community. I mean, that's book one's agenda a little bit and book two, certainly. I mean, it made, you, yeah, go ahead. In the original series, too, like, it always felt like uh, Aang was sort of on his own, right? Aang and the kids, like... You know, they had allies, they had people they turned to, but I never felt like there were any true spiritual leaders, I guess, that he could really turn to. And the rest of the world was kind of worried about being at war with the Fire Kingdom. So, I don't know, kind of makes sense that we didn't see too much of that then. Yeah, I guess it just Mm -hmm. felt, it felt weird to me because now I have to go back in my mind and think like, well, if you could meditate into the spirit world, then how long has Unalak been visiting Mm -hmm. the dark side and, you know learning these weird things because obviously he knew enough about spirits to engineer his brother's fall from grace in the north and so now there's a whole class of people that while the world's been going through an industrial age have had the capability to jump in and out of this spirit world seems seems a little off to me i don't know where i started i started in the library but 
it all sort of made it okay when uh, the radio had to be explained because then you, I sort of got the idea that the spirits just haven't understood this new technological age and are sort of wary of it. I don't know. That's well, he wasn't scared, but he certainly had no idea what was going on, although he's in cahoots with Unalak. So who knows? Well, and, and obviously has been for a bit of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about Unalak and like what what we haven't seen yet. Do you think we'll get like this big flashback the same way we got with Amon? You know, we told the story of how Amon became Amon. Are mm-hmm. we going to get that moment for Unalak where? Because I mean, I feel like we get a, a grand sense of what he's after here, but there's details that seem wishy washy. Even even when. Um, you know, Janora yells to one she talks. You know, don't you know that he's trying to take over the world? He's trying to spread darkness across the spirit world and the physical world. And then Unalak's like, don't believe everything you read. And I'm like, you should run for American political office, Unalak. That's the perfect line. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't. It's the media. It's the media saying it. <laughs> um, the spin zone. Yeah. We also haven't seen Gray to Leslie, to Lise, uh, Leslie, uh, Azula. People are obsessed with that reveal like, why wouldn't you be she said book two mm-hmm. we're 10 episodes into book two come on i should be more <laughs> excited you're right you're right i, I would be more obsessive i the other thing to like about unalak is that i don't know aman always felt as a character even when he was bad like there was something there was something populist there was something you know behind what he was trying to do that felt um kind of justified like he had self-justified this unalak i don't know if he's totally done that for us as the audience and you know for him either like he wants the world to be a little more spiritual sure but that's not something i can really get behind as much as i could amon's like call for equality right for and non-benders it, there probably is a justification there like some sure. reason some case to be made for the spirits you know if if these spirits hate the radio or or don't understand technology and want to return back right. to the physical world like they did before Juan showed up. Yep. Um, maybe there is a case to be made like why Unalak wants to set these free and merge these two planes <laughs> of existence, but we don't we don't know, so we can't really and we care as much. It's not t- tugging on our heartstrings. We don't see him respect the spirits too much either, right? So we see him like being able to bend the dark spirits, but the whole thing with Korra's dad is that, you know, he basically encouraged the dark spirits to come and to attack the village. That doesn't seem like something righteous to me. So I don't I don't know if we'll get the like, you know, meaningful backstory for Unalak as we did for Aman. I'm honestly not even as interested in that. Yeah. I think But it's definitely- still essential. Right. I think we'll definitely get what he thinks from his perspective, right. like his goal, but whether or not we get a whole backstory, that might seem a little excessive, but definitely the fact that he thinks there's something else going on here than what we know to be going on means that I'm expecting a little bit of explanation from him. Like if he wants to be the dark avatar, that would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that we're building towards something here where it's like, we know that this thing has been going on and, the Avatar exists because of Rava and Vatu 10,000 years ago. But as far as we know, this is the only time that Rava and Vatu have been separated for a period of 10,000 years. So the Avatar is sort of a new thing. And we don't know what the next harmonic convergence brings. Like, do they automatically get reconnected somehow? Or what, what are the rules in this weird newness? Yeah, I wanted to jump 
to the end of this episode. And, uh, you know, I watch certain things in Korra at this point and think Dave must have 18 theories now about what's going to happen. And that's all I could think about towards the end of this episode when Korra, you know, swoops in on her uh, legendary Pokemon bird. Um, I guess it's not really a legendary Pokemon. I couldn't help but think of <laughs> Zapdos and Moltres. Right, right. Um, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Yeah, with a little bit of Haku, the water or the river spirit from Spirited Away. Um, but yeah, she swoops in and of course uh, she's convinced to open the spirit portal to save Janora, um, which I imagine infuriated half of the fandom and they praised her for being a hero in some way. Um, I don't know what the, what the final vote on that is, but I couldn't help but think where where is this going knowing that a, uh, an episode before the finale called a harmonic convergence it must there must be a throwdown in the future and dave i couldn't help but think of you yeah i think i mean i'm gonna make some calls here that probably aren't going to work out but let's just go with it uh, i think we might be looking at a avatar stateless avatar from here on out uh i Ooh. think that you know if rava is allowed to get free during harmonic convergence and is has gained enough strength by having Vatu locked in the tree that they could get reconnected at the tail and, you know, things to get right. That would be great. The other thing I think they could do that would be really risky, but could be very interesting is let Vatu win and go full empire strikes back and just <laughs> doom us to 10,000 years of darkness. And then the entire human race becomes, the rebel alliance to the empire of the rest of the world and Whoa. it opens it opens everything up uh, and it sort of reorients the world back into a place where bending is integral to your survival it's not like a technical skill so mm. i could i could see that also happening and then the third thing would be dark avatar which i just <laughs> feel is going to happen in my bones i do feel like that yeah and um by the way maybe book three ten thousand years later in the future we're dealing with this. This is like days of future past or something like dealing. That with would that, be like, incredible. Apocalypse. <laughs> but no, we're not. I, I, I can't bet that we'll see that. Um, I do love the ideas, though. I love the potential for that. And I will say, like, the idea of humans is like the Rebel Alliance set. I mean, we did kind of see that in the first series, too. Like in Last Airbender, everybody was sort of trying to survive against the Fire Kingdom. So I feel like we've covered that territory already. Um, dark avatar, definitely something I'd like to see. And, um, I'm still betting that we will see more people take on potential avatar abilities, like maybe not having all of the different, you know, bending in, in at the same time, but maybe opening it up so that people can actually combine multiple, like two or three or something. Like an evolution in bending for the yes. rest of the humans. Yep. Like a Buffy, a Buffy conclusion. That's what I was saying. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So it sounds like you think things are getting messy in the uh, very strict world of the Avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. I think it's opened up to the point where we can now. I, we've we've found we've been in all the nooks and the crannies of what it takes to to be an Avatar, and I think that our our. But our I don't core... know. I, I'm happy with the conclusion of this episode. All right. Oh, you what? What that she lost? Well, that she chose to save Janora and open the portal. I mean, basically mm -hmm. doom the world in favor of saving someone she loves. Uh, I don't think she made the bad decision there. Although I actually a testament to the writing, I kind of thought that maybe Janora would die. 
I thought yeah. that she would just yeah. get her soul sucked out. And for a second, I'm like, Laura needs to not open the portal. And she knows you know, that. She'll turn to the moon worried. or something, something on the grand equivalents like that. Right. She would just be. Couldn't she just exist in the spirit world or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's not a happy ending for <laughs> Tenzin and the, the family. He's not going to be happy either way, you know? <laughs> what the, that is such a sad thing for J.K. Simmons. <laughs> this isn't going to be pretty sad. We, we've decided your character is just going to despair for the rest of the season. Good luck. And the rest of his life. Yeah. I was heartbroken from the first minute when he's sitting there with his, uh, with his head and his palms. You know, the uh-huh. first scene is just him, like, so sad from not being able to help Korra and go into the spirit world. Which, by the way, I mean, a lot of people are backlashing, like, why does Korra know, not know that she can, you know, she, her bending won't function in the spirit world? Mm-hmm. I didn't tend to tell her. There wasn't a, t- a moment. When was that moment supposed to happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's distraught. He's not thinking straight. And she just shows up at his door at the Southern Air Temple and then goes to town. You know, they're going to the spirit world. Um, weird, weird thing to gravitate towards. I mean, I, I guess it kind of makes sense, though, because Tenzin is the the planner, the guy with the multi-stage uh, vacation itinerary. But his, the he has been have... pulled from under him. I mean, he's I know, I know, but he, they did spend like a whole day trying to get her into the spirit world. So I'm surprised there was never a tutorial session. Once you get into the spirit world, don't that forget come, that. That would come second. I would, that's like <laughs> when you enter Disney World and the automated voice tells you where to go and what to do. You know, you have to enter the gates of Disney World first. Maybe, but he, he wouldn't be able to communicate anything to her. Like, I don't know. Or at least Janora could have told Cora or something. Someone could have mentioned it yeah. at some point. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, any any final thoughts on this episode as as we kind of prepare for harmonic convergence? Uh, that, Bring on the double episodes. Like, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yes. I know, full hours of storytelling. It's exciting. Where's Pabu? Uh, <laughs> Where is Papa? Where's Naga? Where are all these people that we love? I would all love this- to see, yeah, if we ever get to see spirit equivalents of Papu and Naga, what would that look like? That would be fun. Giant Papu spirit. Oh, that's true. You you do get furry foot, both nice and evil right. furry foot in this episode. Right, I also really liked the um, the dogs that she encounters on the mountain which i've been trying to figure out like which chinese or japanese spirits what what that what that like mask face yeah yeah i know what you're talking about that style trying to of research mask. and find that out so if anyone knows that out there i would be interested um there i'm just like delving through pages of wikipedia trying to figure out what that actual face that's got to be some sort of oh maybe it's not theater my first initial thought is it's some sort of theatrical mask, like whatever the Chinese equivalent of no is. Maybe it is a no mask. I don't know. I think it's a mythological figure that they are adapting onto a dog. But... Help us, Internet. You don't have to yes. draw anything this week. You just have to yeah. research stuff. <laughs> you have homework. Everyone has homework. Um, why don't we wrap up by uh, rattling off some of our favorite moments of this episode. Devinder, do you have something that stands out to you as, as, a, as a peak? I mean, uh, I think all the, the Kibby Cora stuff, all the young Cora stuff I really enjoyed because it really cemented the Alice in Wonderland theme for me. It was nice to see Ira back too, but mainly seeing young Cora kind of deal with this situation, which is honestly like how I, I think that's kind of how she's felt through this entire season. So seeing her in that form kind of uh, helped to justify some of her actions and it made me think that she's more vulnerable than she normally tries to be because uh, adult Cora tries to be strong and tough as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, there's this like, you know, scared child underneath it all. 
we're allowed to be children sometimes. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to, to fall back onto that. Um, and it's amazing that that plays, you know, there's no real segue. We don't see like a magical transformation or anything. It just kind of happens. I think that's kind of wonderful. Um, I actually thought of Dave when that happened because I was having Empire Strikes Back, uh, Luke Skywalker go into the dark forest and yeah. see and Dagobah Cave. Yeah, the Dagobah Cave and see Darth Vader and oh, it's me. Um, not exactly that moment, but certainly that same kind of like mysticism. Um, Dave, is there something that stands out to you? I mean, I know I already talked about it, but very rarely do I have to stop watching an animated anything because it grips me with fear and being <laughs> swallowed by a giant glowing mouth dinosaur while you're underwater really made me just delay seeing Iroh because I had to take a, take a little mini walk. Oh my God. You, do you have some sort of fear of, of... Yeah, man, dino dinosaurs in the ocean. Dinosaurs in water, in large bodies of water. I had to go on like the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios three times for I keep my eye open during the whole thing. It's I don't know what it is, but it's also nice to have a studio back that allows all those things to move realistically enough that I could uh, actually be frightened by them. So you are not vacationing at Loch Ness anytime. Oh man, so. I am obsessed with that, but no, no, really? never. Yeah, it's a so, whole it's a whole sub sort of like conversation that's half therapy for another podcast. I would yeah, imagine. this will be our postseason episodes. One will be devoted <laughs> to your extreme fear of the Loch Ness monster. Oh. Um, and and for me, I just thought there were so many so many little imagery things that kept popping out. I mean, there was um, when she goes through the, the forest. There's that hand spider. That's like it's made of hands, and that was terrifying. And like, there's a pan across the forest at some point, and you just catch like a screaming cactus. There's <laughs> no reason, and it's and they don't linger on it at all. It's terrifying. It's very strange. Um, and I thought there was a lot of Miyazaki in this episode. I mean, I guess that's the sure. recurring theme of the spirits and stuff. But specifically, you know, Hayao Miyazaki is kind of obsessed with liquids and waters and how they move and how they can be animated and it was very bizarre but also appropriate um that the talking prairie dogs who are hassling uh cora in when she appears for the first time in the spirit world um just start turning into jelly and and like attacking <laughs> um i just thought that was bizarre and wonderful and, and totally in line with the miyazaki methodology um and same with um as i mentioned before this dragon that she rides into town for some reason, it kind of looks, it saves her in the same way that Haku saves Sen at the end of Spirit Away, which I really enjoyed. And uh, she's, uh, the, the dragon slaps Unalak with its tail. And I just thought that was so wonderful. Like, there's, it's so random and, and fluid. There's no hesitation. She just slaps him. It reminded me of the Hulk beating up Loki yes. in the Avengers. It's just like, here's how strong I am. Bam. Um, and I thought that was wonderful, even though it does kind of look like Zapdos from Pokemon. Um, <laughs> I think that about wraps our discussion on a new spiritual age up for this week. So thanks everybody for listening. Why don't we tell people where they can find us on the internet? Davindra? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Davindra. I write about tech every day at venturebeat.com and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. 
Dave? Oh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E on a podcast weekly called Operation Kino, where we talk about pop culture. Last week, we had John Ratzenberger from Cheers slash every Pixar movie on. You guys should really go check that out. He's an amazing person. That's at OPKINO.com. <laughs> and then also Superhero Movie News at Latino-Review.com. There's a bunch of that because Thor 2 is out. You should go see that movie. I wonder if John Ratzenberger has done voices for Airbender or Korra. I have not looked that up. I probably should have. He'd be a good spirit um, voice, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am Matt Patches. I write all over the internet, and I try and put everything on my Tumblr, mattpatches.com. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. I do Operation Kino with Dave Seven, and I listen to the Slash Filmcast that Devendra is on that's going to be getting seriously crazy in the next few weeks as they uh, yeah. prepare for the onslaught of movies. It sounds like they have some pretty cool guests. Confirm, Devendra? Confirm. Confirm. It's going to be it's, crazy. It's loose, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, a reminder, thanks everyone for listening to the show. If you can jump on iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating, praise or criticism, anything we want to hear from you, or jump on our Tumblr and leave us comments and submit questions. It's so fun to keep talking about Cora. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.